It's a bye week for TCU, and I think TCU fans are pretty appreciative of that. But we've still got a mailbag to do this week. Three games that I'm looking forward to watching. So let's go ahead and jump right in on this episode of Frogs Insider. Welcome into this episode of Frogs Insider. Jamie Plunkett here. Melissa Trebowasser not here this week. No game preview to look forward to for the Horn Frogs. So it's just yours truly answering your questions, talking about a few games that I'm interested in watching on this TCU bye week. We're coming off of a week that is uh, forgettable for TCU fans, to say the least. And so we're not going to talk too much about Kansas State outside of the questions that come up in the mailbag. But those, frankly, are a little bit more existential this week than they have been in the past month or so, following that 41-3 loss to the Wildcats. So we're going to do this a little differently today. There obviously won't be a game preview, no advanced stats preview as well. I thought about talking a little bit about the Michigan sign-stealing scandal from a TCU perspective, but I think we're going to save that for when Melissa hops back on on Sunday. So we'll talk about Michigan then as we get ready to jump back into TCU game week, which comes up pretty quickly next week because they've got a Thursday night matchup in Lubbock against Texas Tech which we're going to cover head-to-toe, wall-to-wall, beginning on Sunday night when we record. Obviously, that show will go out on Monday morning. So for now, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. Um, we're going to do the three games, like I said. We're going to do your mailbag. But first, I want to shout out to the Republic of Football Network. If you've listened to the episodes prior to this one, if you've been a Frogs Insider follower since day one, first and foremost, thank you. Second of all, you know already that we are part of the Republic of Football Network, part of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Very thankful to be a part of that group. There's a D1 football podcast for every D1 program in the state of Texas that is a part of the Republic of Football Network. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for the Republic of Football Network and hit that subscribe button, leave a rating and a review. If you're just interested, though, in TCU content, Search for Frogs Insider wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll be right there. You can find our Frogs Insider only feed. Only feed. Mm. That could develop into something else. Anyways, <clears throat> you can find just the feed for uh, our show, and you can subscribe there, leave a rating and review. That really does help us out a ton, and so I'm thankful for those of you that have done that already, and I'm thankful if you're thinking about doing it this week. would really, really appreciate that. <clears throat> you can also find us on our YouTube channel, just search Frogs Insider, and we should pop up right there, where you can see my face, and you can see that I am once again rocking the Home Field Apparel Big Sky hoodie. Shout out to Home Field Apparel, one of our excellent sponsors here on the show. If you use the code FROGSIN15, that's FROGSIN15, you can get 15% off of your first purchase at Home Field Apparel and 10% off any subsequent purchases. I would be remiss, though, if I did not mention our other sponsor as well, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods is the place to go for TCU fans to get ready for game day. Whether you need a polo or a hat or a koozie or something else for your tailgate, Hell's Half Acre has got it going on. Make sure you get over there today. Cop that polo for football. But hey, guess what? Baseball's coming up sooner than you could think. 
So go ahead and grab one of those baseball polos as well. Grab a cap, grab a koozie, and make sure that you are ready for TCU game day. Whenever it comes, whatever the sport, you'll be prepared with Hell's Half Acre Stadium goods. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our two excellent sponsors of the show. Very, very thankful for both of you. Okay, <clears throat> well, we're just going to kind of do this thing today. Um I'm interested in a couple of different football games this week because obviously with the bye week for TCU, which I think is much needed. Uh, let's actually back up and talk about the bye week for a second before we get into the mailbag and everything else. Because last year, if you'll recall, 2022, TCU's bye week came in week three of the season. And then they had to play, what was that, 12 games in a row? 13 games in a row to end out their football season? And I think that cost them in the Big 12 championship, just the physical nature of that game, playing Kansas State for a second game for a second time that year, the stakes of that day. Uh, I think that the early bye week really, really hurt TCU last year. And so when we looked at the schedule this offseason and we saw, oh my gosh, a, a bye week in week nine, that sounds pretty awesome. Oh my, you know, TCU could be 7 and 0 going into the Kansas State game. They win the Kansas State game. Oh my gosh, now they're 8 and 0. And they've got the last four games of the year. They're going to be so fresh, so ready to rock. They've got three in-state opponents right after the bye week. This sets up beautifully for the Horned Frogs. And then here we are sitting four and four. And the bye week's got a lot of different kinds of questions that are being asked instead of, oh, well, is everyone still healthy? Are they going to get right for the final stretch? Or, you know, what's the strategy going to be like for a bye week than a Thursday game? You technically kind of have... A lot of time between the Texas Tech game and the game against Texas where they come here. Like, does that give you an advantage? You know, but we're not asking those questions. You're not asking those questions for sure based on the mailbag this week. So, you know, it's interesting that one of the things I think we were very excited about this year was the week nine bye week. And now we're just using it as a time really to kind of sit in our loincloths and sackcloths and ashes and, and do the wailing and the gnashing of the teeth thing. Um, but there is still football happening all across the country this week. Some really good games that I am interested in uh, as we kind of take a look at the schedule here. Uh, the first one that I'm, I'm super intrigued by, the first one that I'm super intrigued by is BYU in Texas. See, TCU absolutely roundhouse kicked BYU in the face. And then BYU immediately got up off the mat, went to Lubbock and beat Texas Tech. I'm very, very confused by this football team. I'm wildly thrown off by this full team. Actually, that game was in in Provo. I, I was mistaken there. Sorry about that. But either way, they get their teeth punched out of their head by TCU, and then they go and they get ready. They they get some George Washington dentures or whatever, and uh, beat Texas Tech and beat them pretty handily. Yes, Texas Tech has a freshman quarterback going right now. Um, but BYU didn't really look to have much going themselves, and here they are now 5-2, and 2-2 two, two and two in the Big 12. And they go to Texas this week. Texas is an 18-point favorite in this game, but they don't have Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers gets his shoulder messed up. The same shoulder that had an AC joint issue last year has an AC joint issue now after their close, close, close win over Houston. So we've got... Uh, a backup quarterback playing for the for the University of Texas as they try to stay in position to make the Big 12 championship and hold on to some of the hope that they had at the beginning of the year about conference championships and potentially the college football playoff. So 
That game is at 2.30 on ABC. I'm very interested to see if BYU's defense can do anything to slow down Texas, even if they do have their backup quarterback in the game. Um, uh, and and we'll see you know, how Texas's defense responds to getting gashed a little bit by a Houston offense that has been really up and down at times. They stretched the ball down the field really well. They ran the ball pretty effectively against Texas at times. Made some really questionable play-calling decisions late in that game, especially on that fourth down play. Um, but that seems to be a theme in college football this year is really good offensive minds trying to get too cute and creative in key moments where sometimes it's best to just do the simple things and get the first down, right? Um, it feels like college football is like moving in a direction away from logic and reason at times. Um, or it's like, it, it, oh, we've moved too far away from you know, we need a yard, we're going to go get a yard to, oh, well, we need this yard, but we're going to run a guy out into the flat and throw it to him there and uh, hope that the safety doesn't bite down or that the corner's out of position or that the throw is good or the receiver doesn't drop it, right? You just, we're deciding apparently as a, as a community of, of college football coaches now to just make things way more complicated than they need to be at times. And it's backfiring pretty much across the country, Right. We saw the zone read that Clemson ran against Miami in overtime that you know, apparently wasn't a zone read, but it looked like a zone read. We've seen TCU in short-down situations really struggle. Now we've seen Texas and, and Houston do some of those same things. Um, it's an epidemic. It, it, it really truly is. You know, We saw USC make some really interesting coaching decisions when they had the ball and the game in hand late against Utah. Uh, it's just a really interesting time to be a college football observer to see some of these questionable decisions that are consistently happening across the board, uh, almost as if it's like a misuse of the analytics that they're now using, a misuse of the data. But anyways, BYU at Texas is a game that I am paying close attention to. Another game that I'm paying close attention to that's at the same time, it's 2.30 on Fox, is Oregon goes to Utah. Does Utah have it in the tank two games in a row to get the upset? Oregon's a six and a half point favorite in this game. I think they're much, much, much better than USC. Much better than USC. So I'll be interested to see if Utah's defense can hold up and if their offense can move the way that they moved against the Trojans because Alex Grinch isn't the defensive coordinator at Oregon. And uh, I think that is going to make a significant amount of difference in this one. I think Oregon does go to Utah and get the win. But I'm very excited to see how that game plays out. And then the third game that I am very, very interested in that maybe not a lot of people are going to be paying attention to because it's happening so late at night. Uh, 9.30 p.m. on ESPN, Oregon State heads to Arizona. Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention to Arizona over the last couple of weeks, but Arizona almost beat Washington. They lost to Washington by a touchdown, had that game in hand at one point. They should have beaten USC. They lost to USC in LA, 43-41. to They should have won that football game. If you go back and you watch the end of that football game, Arizona blew it. And then they beat Washington State last week like Washington State had stolen money from them. 44-6. to It was an absolute blowout in Pullman. Arizona's clicking a little bit right now. You know, Jaden Delora is, is throwing the ball well. Their defense is, is substantial at times. Um, Jed Fish has that, that program kind of on the brink, I think, of a turnaround. And I'm very interested to see how they face up against Oregon State this week. A 6-1 and one team that's ranked 11th in the country right now. Arizona's sitting there at 4-3. and three. 
but they could really, you know, establish themselves with two quality wins in a row over Washington State and Oregon State, um, and, and get to the, you know one win away from bowl eligibility in a year where they started out and they looked awful. They looked terrible. I mean, the loss to Mississippi State uh, barely beat Stanford by a point, right? Like this is this is a team that has had some ups and downs already this season, but seems to be turning a corner. I'm very intrigued by. This game, it's at Arizona. Oregon State's a a three-and-a-half-point favorite right now. Uh, But that's a game that I'm keeping an eye on to see. Because I think the the Wildcats have some juice. I I think they do. I'm very interested to see how that turns out for them. Um, Okay. So those are the three games that I am watching this week. Let's go. Questions time. I put in the mailbag this week and I posted it on Twitter this week because it's a bye week. I figured we could get a few more questions um, going and just see kind of how things went here. <laughs> and they certainly went. You guys uh, didn't hold back a couple times and I got the same question three or four times both on Twitter and um and on, on the site, on hordefrogblitz.com. So this is where we're going to start, is with some comments from Kansas State senior guard, Cooper Beebe. He had some some post-game, or I guess midweek media availability following TCU's win uh, over the, or sorry, over the, the Wildcats win over the Frogs. Um, and, and so th- we're just going to take a quick listen to it. This is this is what Cooper had to say. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it was kind of a weird situation. You know, we we're at one point, you know, we're up 30, and you could look at them, and they're, like, laughing like they're having a good time. And I'm like, dude, you guys are getting beat by by 30. You could tell, you know, they had given up at that point, and, and there's no better feeling, you know, when you make a dude quit. There's no better feeling than when you make a dude quit. That's not obviously the part of the of the quote that the TCU fans have have taken some issue with. It's the one right before that where BB is talking about TCU players losing by thirty, uh, laughing and joking around on the football field. Um, it's not a good look, and I've, I've said as much on Twitter. It's not a good look for your team to be smiling and laughing and cutting it up when when you're getting your ass kicked, right? It's just not. And so I think that there are some some questions about, uh, you know, it's naturally I think some questions are going to arise about, you know, commitment and passion and desire and all of those other things. And I don't necessarily think that those questions are unreasonable, but I would I would encourage us to use caution when we take one guy's quotes and apply what his anecdotal experience in a brief moment was to an entire group of other people, right? This is this is how we get in trouble collectively as a culture. This is how we get in trouble, um, you know, in, in some deeper, darker ways uh, when we start to take the experience of one person and apply it to another group at large. So... Uh, when it comes to college football, obviously it's not as serious or severe, but I, I, I know because I, there's no chance that guys like Josh Newton were joking around, right? There's no chance that guys like, um, gosh, I don't know, Josh Hoover were, were joking around. Johnny Hodges on the sideline, you know he's probably not joking around, 
like that. There's, there's, uh, I, I don't think that there is this widespread cultural questionable issue happening at TCU right now. But I will say that, and this is not because I have direct information on specific players on this team. That's not the context for what I'm about to say, but I will say that it happens from time to time where you get guys who aren't as bothered by losing or they aren't as bothered by losing by a lot. And that's not necessarily something that's tied to a desire to succeed or desire to play well. It's just tied to their personality of who they are, right? Like they just don't get as hurt by adversity or, you know, getting your, you know, getting your ass kicked as, as other people might. And I don't know that that's necessarily a question about heart. I don't know that that's necessarily, excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. I don't know that that's necessarily a comment on the culture at large at TCU or how they all feel. I don't know that that's a trickle down effect from the coaches, right? Like I've seen a lot of crazy speculation based on this 16 second quote um, about how the entire TCU football program is in shambles because there was a guy laughing when they were losing in Manhattan, Kansas. And I just don't, I have a hard time getting from point A to point B on that one. Is it concerning that there are guys that are playing in a football game who maybe don't, you know, have the desire to to be there as much as their teammates? Sure, it can be, right? Like if the goal is to win, you want guys that want to go out there and win. Um, you know, TCU's program is built on on people who hated losing almost as much or if not more than they liked winning, right? And so there's this kind of character about TCU historically where that is that is pretty unusual to see now. But I also don't think that it's a signal of anything larger or cultural or anything like that. I think it's probably just a signal that there are some dudes on the team who don't, you know, who who don't get hurt by that or don't get worked up by losing like that. And if you think that's a problem, then okay. If you don't think that's a problem, okay. And I I think that we see that TCU has a coaching staff right now who probably will take that and do what they need to do about it, which is have a conversation to say, it's not a good look and this is what the expectations are and it's okay if you're not willing to meet those expectations, go on, go somewhere else. Right? Like if a kid if a kid doesn't want it, they don't want it. And that's not they're not a criminal because of that, right? Like they're just, they just don't want it and that's fine. They just don't want it. Um, but the coaching staff, I don't, I don't think that a kid or two laughing in the middle of a blowout is an indicator of anything larger than, you know, maybe those kids just don't care as much as we would like them to, which take that however you want. Right. But I, I I just don't know. I just don't know that, that that's, necessarily an indicator of a larger cultural concern at this point. There are other larger concerns about the program that we're going to get into because of these questions, but that's, that's, so I I got a lot of folks on Twitter and a lot of folks on the board saying, Hey, we would really love to, for you to talk about this. 
that's probably not a satisfying thing that you wanted to hear. You probably wanted me to say like, yeah, just cut those guys, move on. It's a cultural thing. Let's see what cause has to say about it. Blah, blah, blah. I just, I mean, it's, it's probably nothing more than a couple guys who don't take it as seriously as the fan base wants them to take it. And I can tell you this, the coaching staff wants them to take it more seriously. So I don't think that that's a trickle down effect of, of lack of caring from the coaching staff. Just to clarify the ramp, the rambling that I've done for the last few minutes. Now let's jump into some actual questions. Life of a frog asks for why, how come, what's the answer? Where do we go? Why? Well, regression, right? I wrote about regression this week on the site. Uh, it is a free article, so you can go and you can read it, even if you're not subscribed to hornfrogblitz.com, which I don't know why you wouldn't be at this point. We've got the most comprehensive coverage of TCU athletics anywhere, um, and it's not a, a bank breaker either. It's like 10 bucks a month at most. I think it's actually less. I think it's like six ninety nine or seven ninety nine a month, and you get a discount on that if you pay for, for the annual. Um, I'm not doing a great job of selling my own website right now, but hey, here we go. Uh, regression. Uh, happens when you lose guys to the NFL, when you lose coaches to other staffs, it's, it's a natural built in thing in college football because everybody's on a clock, right? Players have limited eligibility. Coaches have limited. There's a, a saying that I, I like from, from ministry, um, that I heard a mentor of mine say one time, it's, it doesn't matter if you stay to church for one year or 20 years, everyone's an interim in this industry. And I think you can say the same thing for coaching, right? Because everyone has a successor at one point or another, whether you were there for a year or 25 years, there's going to be a coach that comes after you. And so the responsibility of the coach in that moment is to do the best that they can by the program with what they've got. And uh, they're also limited by the fact that they can't you know, sign a Justin Jefferson to a max contract and keep him for 15 years. Um, they've got four or five years with these guys, if that, and they got to make the most of it. So regression is built into college football in a way that we don't see in the professional level. And I think that myself included, folks who cover this team didn't do enough um, of pointing at that this offseason. Instead, we chose to talk about the talent and the depth that we saw that was still here. And I think that was a disservice to TCU fans to do it that way. And if I had a do-over, I would absolutely focus more on, it's probably a big issue that they lost Quentin Johnson and Kendra Miller. It's going to be a problem that they have the coaching staff has to solve because Alana Lee and Steve Avila aren't walking through that door anymore, right? So that's on me. That's also the why, and that's kind of the how come, too. That's, that's what we've seen this year is regression. Is it more regression than maybe we expected? Yes, absolutely. I said the baseline for a successful year this year was eight and four. I thought this team would go ten and two. They're gonna be lucky to sniff six and six, I think, at this point. They could maybe with a crazy upset get to seven and five. But I think six and six is the expectation now. And that's a lot more regression than we anticipated. And there are some reasons for that that we can maybe get into as we continue to go through these questions. All right. <clears throat> What's the answer? Patience which sucks, right? Because nobody wants to be patient anymore uh, in a transfer portal area era where it's like, oh, we can rebuild immediately. We can reload immediately. The answer right now for this team is patience through the last four games of the season. Let's see what they can do as far as progress is concerned. Let's see if they get some of the younger guys going this season. Um, and let's just wait and see what happens from here. 
Uh, I think it's pretty clear at this point, based on some of the things Jeremy said on the board that are VIP, so I'm not going to repeat them here um, because I'm not going to pull stuff out from behind my own paywall. Um, but uh, yeah, go and go and read what Jeremy had to say this week about what could happen this offseason. People are being evaluated. That's all I'll say. Everybody's, everybody's up for evaluation. Um, <clears throat> West Texas Frog. How is the mood amongst players and coaches? Do you get the sense that anyone hits the portal or coaching change? I personally do not want to see a change just yet. Do I get the sense that anyone hits the portal? This is a tricky question because I'm going to answer it and you're going to immediately think of someone. And I have no reason to believe that that person that you're thinking of is going to hit the portal. But my instinct in this new way of doing college football is to say that, yeah, someone's probably going to hit the portal. Um, I don't have concrete information on any particular individual that is going to go into the portal. But I would be shocked if every single player that's currently on the roster that's not graduating stayed. As for coaching changes, like I just said, everyone's being evaluated. Everyone's being evaluated. Um, does that mean that there will be a change this offseason? No. Does it mean that there won't be a change this offseason? Also no. Zach W711 asks, is there any hope left in the football season? Brother, we got we got three games left against in-state opponents. You got Texas Tech, Texas, and Baylor rolling up the next three weeks after this bye. There is absolutely a hope that TCU will go at least two and three in those or two and one in those games. Right? You know, you take Texas Tech, you take um, you you take Baylor and and you f- you're feeling okay about things, right? Like you still got a leg up on those two in-state rivals. You beat Houston this year already, so you're really you know TCU has done a pretty good job of establishing themselves in the state in a way that they hadn't done under the previous administration. Not only from a winning standpoint, TCU's always done a really good job of beating Texas, of beating Tech, of beating Baylor, and now they're one and zero against Houston. That the Cougars are in the Big Twelve, but they're leveraging that in different ways now, uh, specifically in high school recruiting. We've seen them recruit the state and DFW much better over the last couple of years in the transfer portal. They're getting these kids to come back home. Um, have all of them panned out the way that TCU fans have hoped? No, but you're not going to have a 100% hit rate in the portal, just like you're not going to have a 100% hit rate at the high school level. The, the goal is to be right more often than you're wrong. And TCU has done that under Sonny Dykes in the recruiting world at this point in time. Um, let's see. Ethan P. King asks, how great was Tuesday's practice? Uh, they've had really good Tuesday practices all year. And Sonny Dyke said it a couple weeks ago. It's about how do we get what we're doing on Tuesdays and Wednesdays to translate to Saturdays. They didn't figure that out last week. Let's hope they can figure it out next Thursday against Texas Tech. Zach asks another question. Will we see actual changes, scheme, personnel, et cetera, against Tech, or are we just going to roll out there and get steamrolled again? Texas Tech in Kansas State. Texas Tech's closer to BYU. In fact, Texas Tech just lost to BYU, remember? So there is no such thing as transitive property in college football, but there are such a thing as there is such a thing as good teams and bad teams, and Texas Tech's just not a good team this year. They're playing a freshman quarterback. They've had a lot of adversity for a team that every, was every media, national media's darling to, like, compete for a big 12 title and win 10 games. Um, it's just a, it's a bad year for tech and they recruited in bulk the last couple of years instead of recruiting like TCU has. And we're seeing the results of that now a little bit. Uh, we will not see scheme changes 
Scheme changes do not happen in the middle of a football season, right? You don't just say, oh, the 3-3-5 is not working. We're going to switch to a 4-2-5 or we're going to switch to a 4-3. There is, I mean, it's a personnel issue at that point. It's a, like you don't just have a second scheme in your back pocket that you pull out and say, we're going to, we're going to be a 3-4 team this week. And then next year, next week we'll be a 4-3 team. And then the week after that, we're going to be a 3-3-5 team. Because that's just not how it works. It's just not a thing. Now, will there be a scheme change in the offseason? I don't know. Maybe. It's possible. Now, the, the other part of the question, though, Zach, personnel, I, I would be shocked if we saw guys who are continuing to miss tackles get playing time. I would be shocked if we see guys who continue to drop passes or miss blocks get as much playing time as they're getting. And so I do think that there is an opportunity to to see some personnel shakeups over the last four weeks of the season. Um, to what extent, I'm not sure, but I know that there are some guys that are itching to play and that they haven't gotten a lot of time yet. And I, I think we're at a point now where the coaching staff is going to see what those, like, see what those guys have. Um, the Voyager 11 asks, <coughs> Ooh, <coughs> excuse me. Three different questions. Coach Dykes made a comment post game that there will likely be personnel changes. Yep. Who do you expect we see more of in the coming weeks? <clears throat> I think defensively we see some more of the younger guys, uh, especially in the secondary. More Randon Fontenet, uh, more Jamel Johnson, even though we've seen a little bit of him over the last couple weeks. He's looked pretty good. I think we see some some young linebackers get in there and play a little bit more. Um, and some young defensive linemen, right? This is part of the, I, I would say the most impressive part of Sonny's 2023 recruiting class was the defensive line, the guys that he brought in. And so I'll be interested to see what that rotation on the D line looks like in the next couple of weeks. And then as far as receivers go, you know, he said it in midweek before the Kansas state game, guys who drop this many passes normally don't get much playing time. And so I wouldn't be shocked to see some different guys get some work this bye week to be prepared to play from, you know, a younger wide receiver standpoint. Um, <clears throat> so we'll see. We'll see. I don't know that it, I know exactly who we'll see, but I would not be shocked to see some, some freshmen roll out there in the next couple of weeks. Question three, as far as eyeballs and national brand recognition, how does basketball compare to football? For example, if TCU had a basketball program that makes it to the tournament every year, is that equivalent to a 7-5 and five team on an average with a major bowl game every four years? What would the comparable, what would the comparable football team look like for brand and school value? It's a really good question. I think, so let me do this really quick. There are 130 D1 football teams. And there are 43 bowl games. So you've got 86. I'm doing this math live, by the way, so don't judge me. You've got um, 86 teams that can go to a bowl out of 130. That's 66% of college football teams can go to a bowl if they qualify. Now there are 352 Division I Men's basketball programs, and there are 64 
spots, uh, no, 68 spots in the NCAA tournament. 19% of college football teams make the NCAA tournament every year. What was that? 66% of college football teams make a bowl game every year. So think about that. TCU has made the NCAA tournament two years in a row, which means they've been in that top 19% of college basketball two years in a row. To get to a bowl game that the majority of college teams can get to, you've got to go six and six. You've got to go 500. And you can even be maybe five and seven if you've got a good APR, right? And you can still qualify for a bowl if there aren't enough bowl eligible teams. So I would say that making it to the tournament every year or making it to the tournament the last two years, like TCU has, is more equivalent to, say, like a nine and three football team who is um, consistently in the conversation for their conference title, who is consistently, um, you know, not only making a bowl game, but making a recognizable, decent bowl game against a good opponent, right? Like Liberty bowling up, maybe. Uh, Yeah, maybe, you know, Cotton Bowl, like, like on the fringe New Year's Six, right? Like in that echelon of bowl games. Um, I, that's kind of where I would put uh, a basketball program that consistently makes it to the NCAA tournament. I, I'd say it's more like the nine and three range, ten and two range, <clears throat> just because you know <clears throat> so many teams can qualify for a bowl. Nineteen percent of college basketball is getting into the NCAA tournament. The comparable football team <clears throat> look like for Brandon School value, like Penn State. It's kind of where I'm at, I think. Penn State or like a Washington. You know, like there's there's obviously like a consistent level of success. Like for Penn State, right? Like Penn State is the third best team in the Big Ten. Always. Always. And yeah, Penn State fans are probably frustrated that they're not beating Ohio State and Michigan. Um, but they're also going to freak out when they like lose to Purdue, Right. And so I think when you talk about TCU basketball, like TCU basketball is not Kansas, right? It's not Arizona who's coming into the league. Uh, It's not even, you're going to hate this, it's not even Baylor quite yet. But you're also going to get really frustrated when TCU basketball loses to like Oklahoma State or or Oklahoma, right? You're going to get upset if TCU basketball loses to Central Florida or BYU. And so I think that's kind of maybe where like the football program comparison to TCU basketball is, is I would say like a Penn state where your expectations now are that you're going to win eight to nine games, 10 games. You're going to be in the conversation for a conference title and uh, you're going to make a bowl game. That's worth something right. Or AKA you're going to make the NCAA tournament. This would be by the way, and I've said this on the show before the, the first time in program history that TCU would, have made three consecutive NCAA tournaments if they make it this year. First time in program history. So just keep that in mind. <clears throat> Netty2424 asks, on a quit scale from little effort to a bad word, it where does this team land? Um I look, it's hard to it's hard to give full effort when you're getting just your brain speed out. Um, I don't necessarily. Oh, how do I say this? I think it's human nature sometimes 
to either fight or curl up in a ball. And on Saturday, we saw TCU curl up into a ball. Um, but we've also at times seen this team fight, right? We've seen this team punch back when they got hit in the mouth. Um, we saw the BYU game for what it was. We saw what happened against SMU. You know, they went down and they just dog walked Houston, right? And those aren't maybe very good teams, but this team hasn't shown me that they're, they're quitting every week. They've shown me that they're just wildly inconsistent right now. And I think that's a variety of, uh, there are a variety of reasons to that. I don't think at large this team has quit. Um, <clears throat> Perp Gang 2341 asks, what do you think the main issue is, coaches, players, or scheme? I don't think that I could pinpoint any one of those things as being the main issue. I think that if you have, uh, if you don't have the personnel to run the scheme, that's going to create challenges, which creates challenge for the coach who's trying to adjust his scheme to accommodate the personnel that he has, which is still locked into the general you know rules of the scheme which means that guys have to develop and grow in the middle of the season, which means that the coach has to work on developing and growing them in the middle of the season so that they fit the scheme, but then they get to Saturday and the scheme maybe still isn't exactly suited for what the personnel is or vice versa. The personnel is not suited for the scheme, uh, right? And so you have this kind of like a, just a rolling issue every week where one thing is feeding into the next thing is feeding into the next thing. And it seems like the coaching staff right now is just trying to keep all of that from compounding. Who's your frog 18? Would you or JC please ask Sonny Dykes? About, oh, yeah. Um, so there was no press conference this week. I said I'd talk about it here. <coughs> um, uh, so Sonny was not available. Players were available by request, which is why you saw Josh Hoover and Namdi OBA's or talk this week. Um, I don't know. I didn't personally ask for any coaches. I don't know if other people did and were told no. Um <clears throat> I did not ask for coaches this week, though. But there will be a press conference next week, and I'm sure that the Cooper BB quote will come up. And I, I, I will probably ask it, let's be honest here. Um, will we actually see changes, or will the same upperclassmen and transfers who just roll over and quit continue to play for this team? Okay, well, we, mm, I, you know, I've kind of already talked about this a little bit. I think we will see some personnel changes. Raw Frog, ask Sonny if it's Big Bubba time. Man, I would love for it to be Big Bubba time. That would be so dope. We could use a little injection of, of life and energy and, and joy. Hornfrog112 asks, um, <clears throat> this is another kind of Cooper BB, not seeing the alma mater after the Cal Colorado game. For how much everybody preached culture last year, how has the culture just completely disappeared? You know, if you've been listening to, to what Sonny Dykes has been saying this year about leadership, I don't know that the culture has necessarily disappeared. I just think, and I took some responsibility for this already on the show. I don't think we stressed enough how much player leadership, veteran leadership TCU was losing this offseason. Um, there's, there's just no other way to put it. When you lose a guy that people are literally willing to die for in Max Duggan, uh, you're, the, the, the culture of your team is going to shift a little bit. And there hasn't been yet this year a guy who's stepped up and been able to fill that void. Doesn't mean there won't be. Doesn't mean there won't be one next year. But it, it is, uh, I think, a challenge. And we've heard Sonny talk a little bit 
this season about developing leaders on the team. And if players aren't going to step up and be leaders then the coaches will have to. And, you know, I think we're still kind of seeing the, the kind of push and pull and the tension and, and the void there a, a little bit. I don't know that it's necessarily a culture issue. I think it's a, this, this team and this coaching staff is learning how to adapt to losing a leader and developing ones to take their place. Right. We're seeing, we're seeing a lot of learning, I think, uh, in real time this off season or this current season loaf life of a frog asks we all know hoover was on the run all night and that should inform our perspective on his performance it absolutely should in light of that what is the honest assessment of his play and poise what did you like and what gave you pause on the long-term answer meter where would you put hoover right now i think he's a i think he's gonna be a good college quarterback and you're right he was running for his life the offensive line really struggled Really struggled. One of the worst blocking games I've seen from from Andrew Coker and Brandon Coleman both, and it's really unfortunate that they both had it in the same game because uh, they they struggled. They struggled all all night. Um, John Lance I thought held his own. Uh, Willis Patrick I thought did pretty well. Colton Deary had some moments, but for for the for the most part the line struggled. And in light of that, I think that. We saw Josh Hoover struggle in his second start against a defense that is vastly superior to the one he played against BYU. Um, so what did I like? I liked that it looked like he was always keeping his eyes downfield. Uh, he looked like he was trying to find an open guy until the very last second. Uh, on the on the opposite end of that coin, I would love to see him just either throw it away a little bit sooner or try to get a couple yards, right? He's not a terribly mobile guy, Um Get a couple yards, slide, get down, get to the next play. Just don't let the things that are going wrong around you force you into an error. And I think we saw that a couple times from him on on Saturday night. Um, But I also think that based on the the conversations that we've been able to have with him, that he's a really mature kid and that I think he's going to, I think he's going to be okay. Ludacliff, who is better behind the pulpit? You or Jeff? That's, that's a Jeff. That's Jeff Milchell. There's no, there's no question. There's no question. None whatsoever. If you've never heard Jeff Mitchell give a sermon, you're doing yourself a disservice. Get over there to the Lindenwood website and watch watch church with him on Sunday, will you? Please, I'm begging you. Also, who will win a natty first, football or baseball or basketball? I'm sticking with baseball. That's been my answer for like the last 10 years. I think it's going to be baseball. Could be sooner rather than later. L.W. Ross. All my life, I have been taught that football, make that winning football, is a mental game, and this year is a prime example of that. Last year, we saw the joys of a mentally focused team with strong leadership, and this year, we see the frustrations of the total opposite psyche and lack of leadership. And it's not just TCU. You can look at the past 10 years of the Texas teams repeatedly underachieving. Those were not just coach or scheme issues, and certainly not talent issues. They were mentally weak teams. Likewise, you can blame TCU's failures this year on coaches, schemes, or whatever you want, but the reality is that the lack of mental toughness and focus by the players is the real problem. The problem then becomes how do we fix it? The fix can only come from within the players themselves, and I don't think that it's fixable at this point in the season. In my opinion, it will take a restart after the season, following, followed by a full offseason to get this team right mentally. There was That was just a statement. I should have read that before reading it all out loud, but I don't necessarily disagree. I think that, like I said, you know, there's leadership development that needs to happen on this current roster that that we're still seeing the growing pains of. Go frog yourself. Who are you watching? What are you looking for at this week's baseball scrimmage? Any tailgate plans for Saturday? No tailgate plans, but I'm down. I'm always down. 
have a little tailgate action, go over to home, go over to Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and get yourself a koozie and let's go tailgate on Saturday for this baseball game. Get yourself the baseball polo and let's tailgate for this baseball scrimmage. They're playing Sam Houston State at noon at Lupton. What am I watching for and looking for? I am looking for arm talent. I saw a lot of what I needed to see in the Texas State scrimmage from the bats. I want to see a little bit more from some arms. And so I'm interested to see who's pitching, how long they're going to pitch, um, because there are some guys that didn't throw against Texas State that I'd love to see, Louis Rodriguez being one of them. I don't know if he's quite back yet and ready. Um, some of these freshmen that have been dealing with injuries that we haven't seen really throw yet this fall. Uh, a couple other guys as well that we just haven't seen get a ton of run. Uh, Hunter Hodges didn't pitch against Texas State. Um, some other guys. So I would love to see some of these more, some more of these arms get some work in um, just so I can get a better understanding of kind of where things are <clears throat> with the pitching on this team. Cause I, I think baseball this year, we're going to see a different kind of team at the plate. I think we're going to see a lot more, a lot more power. Um, <clears throat> there are some dudes that can absolutely mash. Uh, there are still a couple guys that can steal bases too, but this is kind of a mash unit. Not in the medical, military kind of way, but in the we're going to hit a lot of balls really hard kind of way. Um, but I just don't know. There's so many question marks about pitching at this point, right? Like, we don't know what the rotation is going to look like on the weekend. We don't know who the closer is going to be. We don't know who the long relievers are. We really know nothing. And so I'm excited to see another scrimmage where we can maybe start to make sense of what the pitching roles are going to look like in the spring. <clears throat> Let's see. Milton Daniel asks, who are the leaders on this team. Well, you see who's captain and you see who's not captain. Um, and that's not necessarily who's has to be the leader and who doesn't. Um, but that's a choice that was made by the team. And then I think Josh Hoover's growing into that a little bit. Um, it's only week. It's only two weeks of him being the starter, but we heard really glowing reports the last couple of weeks about the work that he's doing to be a better leader. And we heard some of that from him on uh, this week as well. Uh, when he did some media availability this week. So I think Josh Hoover is. I think some of these older senior uh, offensive linemen are. I think Josh Newton is. I think Johnny Hodges is. Mark Perry. You know, they're they're definitely leaders on this team for sure. Are they filling the void completely from last year? I don't think so. Um, but there are leaders on this team. McFrog has a statement. Get Cordell Russell on the field. I hear you. Purple Shades, is there a culture or locker room problem? I don't believe so. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I just think this team is different than last year and we didn't do enough to talk you guys, talk to you guys about that this offseason. Um, Frog Frog, at four and four in bowl eligibility and serious jeopardy, wondering how Sonny makes playing time decisions, giving KSU effort claims and perhaps looking him looking forward to next year. Question one, are there any players you hope or expect to see more of to get reps? I kind of talked about this a little bit. I would love to see some of the younger wide receivers and defensive linemen get in the game. What's the redshirt strategy with the freshman class? Data below by games participated shows some key guys with one, two, and three, and four games that could be interesting to sit. They're not sure sitting is a thing anymore in a post-portal world. Curious who you'd sit versus push to five games of action. The guys that have played zero games, I don't think we're going to see. So let's just start there. That's Javion Wilcox, Rowan Fluellen, Kylan Salter, Bubba Brooks, Mike Stoker, Cooper Powers. Those are just development guys, right? And you've got them in every class. One game, Avion Carter, Huddleston, uh, uh, Kevian Huddleston. Um, I would like to see more of Avion Carter. 
I would like to see more of him. I'd like to see more of Marcus Deal as well, who's played two games this year. Um, you've got Max Carroll, Jordan Lester, Cordell Russell. Each have played three games. I think you get Cordell some reps. I know that there have been some questions about knowing the playbook, but I think you try to keep things simple for him and you get him out there on the field and see what he can do because he is everything that they've wanted from him athletically and work ethic-wise. Um, and so I think you, you, you reward him for that at this point. Jordan Bailey, we're going to see a lot more of. He's already played four games. Cam Cook, I think we're going to see more of. Bax and Ben Taylor Whitf- Whitfield, we're going to see more of. They've played six games. Vernon Glover, we're going to see him more seven games. Randon Fontenet and Jamel Johnson, I've already kind of mentioned as guys I think we're going to see more of in the secondary as well. They've played eight games this year. Yeah, I think it's it's time for a little bit of a youth movement. I think we'll see that. Wrist explosion. Why don't we have a bourbon yet like we do the Hell's Half Lager? We have four distilleries in Fort Worth. Can't we figure this out? Look, all I'm saying, and if you're listening to this and you have any kind of affiliation with any of these distilleries, call me. We'll make it happen. We will absolutely make it happen. Just call me. Fort Worth Original. Ask how this D configuration makes any sense. That's what she said. Must admit, did the coaches realize their house is on fire? The house is not on fire. They've lost more games than we expected them to. But the house is not on fire. Just fixing some things in, with the foundation, I think. 2017 Frog says, should I light myself on fire at the 50-yard line of the next game in protest of our poor play? You know, the thing I love about 2017 Frog is that um, he never overreacts to things um always really level-headed just keeping it keeping it a hundred um no but i i I find that there's levity in stuff like that 2017 frogs so keep it coming and also please don't do that because then you can't ask me questions like that anymore um let's see let's see are we there are we there did we get there did we get there Oh, annoying group of 20. Are we in need of more Brian Kane peak performance or Dr. Bob Rotella? Yeah, always. Like, always. We're always in need of that. Let's get over to the Twitter here. I don't think I... Let's see if there are any extra Twitter questions that I didn't get to. Paul in uh asks, it seems between JG, KB, and SD, the coaches, you don't have a fiery personality. Does this hurt the team in terms of motivation? I don't believe it does. And I believe me when I tell you, I've seen all three of those guys get pretty fiery at moments this year. I don't think it's just their natural way of operating, but they've got it in their bag and they have used it at times this year. Um, Eddie Johnson, wonderful Wallace, asks... What would be the true cause from being natural, national runner-up to potential of missing a bowl game? Is it culture coaching locker room? Seems that players quit during the KSU game. I think I kind of talked about this at the top, and I wrote about it this week. Regression is a thing unless you're Georgia or Bama or Ohio State. And even with those programs, it can come and bite you if you're not careful. But TCU isn't those schools. It's just not a blue blood like that. And so there is going to be a cycle to success. And I think that some of the really veteran elite talent that was on the roster last year masked some of the deficiencies of the overall roster, leading like dating all the way back to the last few recruiting classes of Gary Patterson. And so we maybe saw a little bit of an overreach last year 
because there was some incredible talent and leadership and a great vision from a new coaching staff that executed everything perfectly well. And now we're seeing kind of the culmination of the last few years of the Patterson era, plus a new coaching staff coming in, trying to establish something that is not only a flash in the pan, but is that, but that is a sustainable thing. Right. And so uh, regression is normal for teams that aren't named Georgia or Alabama TCU's in the, at, at the, at the start of a new cycle right now. And it's going to take a little bit of time. Let's see. <clears throat> Matt Jennings with the gift. Here's a question. No one's asking, is this worth it? You got to answer that for yourself. My brother, you've got to answer that for you. Matt Peterson, do the Rangers finally do it? God, I hope so. God, I hope so. It would stitch up the wound that is still open and bleeding from 2011 if they could pull it off this year. I'm begging them. I'm begging them. Gavin Griffin, pick five bourbons, one of each category by answers in parentheses. Daily Drinker, his is Wild Turkey 101. Okay. Mine's just like a normal maker's. A mixer, I don't mix bourbons, but he, he does Four Roses Small Batch. End of the work week is an Eagle Rare. I'm an Eagle Rare guy as well. Um, impress your friends. Good store pick. Four Roses Single Barrel. I've got a Maker's Private Selection that I love. Five Special Occasion. Um, yeah, I, I've got a couple bottles that I haven't opened yet up there. I should have probably looked at these before I saw. I didn't look at this question beforehand. I should have gone and looked at my bourbon cabinet. Um, there are three or four things that I don't know when I'm going to open them. But it will be for that. And I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but I'll send you a picture of one on Twitter. Wild Turkey Rare Breed, Jack Jack Daniels Single Barrel Barrel Proof. I do have a bottle of that. That's pretty solid for the end of the work week. Yeah, I could I could get down with that as well. I have, in fact, gotten down with that before. Um, yeah, okay, so I think that's going to do it. That's all the questions on Twitter. That's all the questions from the mailbag thread. Look at that. We kept a bi-week pod under an hour. Look at us go. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Make sure that you've liked and subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Like the YouTube video. Leave a comment underneath. Tell me what you think is going to happen in the next couple weeks of TCU football. Until then, Melissa and I will be back next Sunday night to record. We'll release that on Monday morning to, to get you ready for another week of TCU football. Taking a look early at the Texas Tech game coming up in the middle of the week. So, Keep your pets' heads on. Everything's going to be just fine. And until the next episode, we'll talk to you later. Go Frogs.